0: Hi, Greg Perry, the Historic Preservationist. Um, welcome to episode 300. So let's get back to some basics as we hit the, uh, the tricentury mark. Uh, basics that got me where I am, the Historic Preservationist, all about wood. Everything wood uh, is my existence today, particularly maple, curled maple, tiger maple. But let's get more specific, going over some notes, uh, talking about uh, various properties of of hardwoods, okay? So let's let's do that tonight. So a great way to kick off number 300 and probably run another 10 after that with regards to wood. So, So let's talk about the growth, structure, and properties of hardwood timbers. Progress in the more intellectual process associated with the designing and manufacture of classical furniture has been ever attended by increasing interest in fine and rare timbers, according to their workability qualities, serviceability, and beauty in color and figure. As furniture making gained an importance with each renaissance of artistic force. The nature and handsome appearance of certain timbers became widely recognized and appreciated until eventually they appeared as exotics among local suppliers in ancient cities located far from their places of growth. Native forest or smaller stands of timbers furnished the wood products of Romanesque and Gothic joiners during these insipid periods of our present civilization. Local supply continued throughout ensuing epochs, sometimes interrupted by shortages of changing demands and with increasing facilities for travel and commerce. Such timbers were augmented by importations. With the rise of Europe's great world trading companies during the 16th century, these importations gradually became an important part of the cargo's return from factories and lesser points of supply in America and the East, while European timbers were exchanged within the sphere. Thus, the, re- the repertoire of native and exotic woods increased with the su- succeeding years, particularly during the 18th century and the beginning of the machine age. The more common of these woods are often recognized today through their general appearances. Similar methods may also serve as a clear <clears throat> remembrance of a rarer but authoritarian designated specimen of wood is retained when the species is again seen in one form or another. However, the proper identification of cabinet woods requires some intense knowledge of their structure and essential properties as it is though these characterizing features and the variations occurring between species that they are determined and classified. In order to recognize these features some familiarity with the terms employed in describing woods is quite desirable at least in so far as they apply in the ordinary visual examinations, which are of one concern here. Throughout the past centuries, hardwood timbers have always provided the majority of cabinet woods selected for strength and appearance. In former times, softwood timbers may be imported when local suppliers were not plentiful, but they were generally employed for utilitarian purposes or concealed beneath applied finishes or veneers. Timber trees growing throughout the world come under the broad heading of spermatophyta. They are further classified as angioserpia and gymnoserpia, which yield the hardwoods and softwoods of commerce. Angiosperms are trees whose seeds are carried in a seed case or fruit whereas the seed of the gymnosperms are not enclosed in an ovary. Angiosperms are divided into two groups. The dictoletones, in which growth rings are formed within the ascending axis or stem, and the monocleitodones, or the endogenae, the latter group consists largely, largely of the palm family and except for the bamboos or the palms furnishing minor cabinet woods, is seldom of value in the production of furniture. Um, But that is beginning to change in the last five years with the the fast-growing bamboo, and it's used much more for flooring now than ever before. Dictolinotus trees therefore yield the principal decorative woods to be seen in antique as well as modern furniture. These hardwoods may be regarded simply as products of broad, levied, deciduous trees, in contrast to the softwoods associated with conifer trees, keeping in mind that hardwoods and softwoods are differentiated through variations in structure, structure, not relative hardness and softness, as occasional species in both classifications may contradict such descriptions. All trees are fed and protected by various tissues comprising a double layer of bark as the tree develops a denimation of food supply causes the outer portion of the bark to dry out or die. after which the cracks and furrows seen in, in through exposed barks results from general growth of the stem or from freezing temperatures within this protecting Encirclement of the vital phloem, blast tissue, or underbark. It is the function of this tissue to feed the tree. Water and mineral salts are conducted from the roots through vessels in the sapwood portion of the trunk and the leaves. They are converted into sugars and salts, such as conveyed down the phloem into the roots. From the phloem, they are distributed throughout the trunk by means of long, narrow rays passing through the growth rings into the peripheral tissues. Trees of the hardwood group follow patterns of growth, which may be observed at the ends of sawn logs or prepared timbers. Around the central group of pith cells, which are the only used during the early life of the tree, sets of wood ring tissues are formed. These are the growth rings, which indicate a tree's span of life. Each ring is composed of wood substance formed at the beginning of the growing season, which is called primary, early, or spring wood, and that formed later in the same season known as secondary, late, or summer wood. Early wood generally contains cells with thinner walls than those the cells developed in late wood as a greater amount of moisture has to pass up through these vessels during the months of more active growth. Latewood is therefore the denser, harder, heavier, and stronger layer of growth. Growth ring is the term often favored in preference to annual ring, for the growing season is not so sharply divided in tropical regions as the temperate or cold climates and therefore some tropical woods do not display definite indications of each annual change in growth. Generally, the demarcation is perceptible in cross sections, while the variations between early and late growth may also form an important part of the surface figures brought out by plain sawing. As growth rings increase in number within the stem of a very young sapling, the wood substance that has been built up is composed of living tissues. And therefore, at this stage of development, only sapwood is formed. When the stem increases further in diameter, the cells of inner growth layers lose their protoplastic content and die. Thus, turning these layers into heartwood. This is the darker, harder, and heavier wood comprising the core heart of a tree trunk, which in general is also more durable than the surrounding sapwood. As succeeding growth rings are added to the perimeter of the sapwood, the inner boundary of the alburnum continia to form heartwood or durian and thus to increase in diameter in the central commercially valuable portion of the trunk. So we want to remember with the type of cells, uh, from high school biology, f- flow them up, xylem down. So that's the the nutrients up, and the uh, you know the the sugars and everything that's been produced by photosynthetic processes going down. So elements of substances and growth appearing in the wood substance of dichotomous trees are made up principally of vertically elongated cells known as vessels and fibers and transversely elongated cells or rays. Vessels are actually tubes comprised of open cells through which moisture ascends to the branches and leaves. When they are cut and displayed as fine grooves or hatchlings in longitudinal surfaces, such markings are often referred to as vessel lines. pores are cross-sections of vessels when they are scattered or diffused throughout the annual rings without any marked difference between those of early or late development. This constitutes a diffuse porous wood when they are evident without magnification as relatively large openings in the early wood of growth rings contrasting to the smaller size of those formed in the late wood. This is a determinant of ring-porous wood. The majority of timbers do not show these decided contrasts, which occur in a few species indigenous to the temperate zone, such as oak, chestnut, ash, elm, and locusts, and in a small portion of the growing in tropical forests. Fibers are slender, spindle-shaped shells with thick walls, present in the dicotyledons, through often so minute as to be unimportant in their identification. They occur most abundantly in the median portion of the growth rings, generally interpreted among the vessels and rising parallel to one another. A large proportion of the wood substance is made up of these cells, which give support to the vessels and, and affect the general characteristic of hardwood timbers. Wood rays, or vascular rays, are cells composed of storage tissues. Parenchyma, which developed in the stem of all of the dicotylins. These usually appear as small or microscopic flecks. Though in some timbers they are quite large, as in the pronounced rays of the true oaks and those of the so-called Austrian oaks. They may be colorless, as in poplar, lighter in tone than the ground tissue, as in oak, or darkened by pigmentation, as in elm, birch, and beech. Primary rays originate from the cambium tissues of the earliest growth rings rather than from the pith or the medulla which they have formerly been associated with, extending outward to the bark. Other separate rays may develop in the cambium tissues of later growth rings, therefore forming shorter or secondary rays of a similar nature, which also continue radially to the bark crossing the consume, consuming rings at the right angles. Ripple marks are produced by very thin rays that appear in more or less uniform and finely spaced rows running across the grain in plain sawed wood surfaces. Individually, these rays are indicative of the unaided eye, but through their storied rearrangements, they appear as fine horizontal striations or ripple-like markings in true mahogany in certain other tropical timbers. Pith flecks are small, brownish, often corn-like specks or streaks, resulting from injuries produced by boring larvae of certain insects. At times, they appear rather pronouncedly in longitudinal surfaces in birch, alder, willow, and fruitwood timbers, and are less frequently in those cut from holly, hornbeam, horse chestnut, hazel, poplar, and sycamore trees. Like the characteristic markings of bird's eye maple, they may be thickly dotted throughout a portion or portions of a timber, while the balance of the same log remains untouched. The term pith fleck is perhaps as confusing as, say, pith ray or medullary ray. For those flecks are also associated with the cambium tissues of the growing tree rather than its true pith. The phenomenon is generally described under conditions of parenchyma. In conditions in connection with the preceding descriptions, relative to the the principal organic elements of hardwood timbers and before taking up further structural features and proportions which result in their decorative qualities and serviceability. So, the character and disposition of structural elements and other features of wood growth is influenced by soil and climactic conditions and results in properties which are important in determining the identity of cabinet woods and in judging them according to quantity and quality. These properties are color, texture, grain, figure, luster, density, weight, strength, and hardness. So, I hope everyone enjoyed episode 300. Uh, uh, We're going to take this a little bit further and break down uh, some of these features just mentioned in the last sentence into uh, some smaller episodes. So, Greg Perry, the historic preservationist. Signing out. Thanks for listening.